I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Trina Roach. Hello, Jesse. Mi'kmaq video journalist from APTN. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for being here. Trina, today we're going to talk about an illegal, violent protest by indigenous lobster fishermen. Wait, wait. Sorry, I got a typo in there. That should read, an illegal, violent protest of indigenous lobster fishermen. <laughs> we are also going to talk about the CBC leveraging its credibility to create branded advertorial podcasts for its corporate clients. There they go again, stealing all my ideas. Uh, once again, glad to have you here. Thanks, Jesse. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you in part by Catherine Christofferson, Elise Cote, Lyndon Sayers, Daniel Smith, Audrey Hurd, Mark Wall, and Ryan. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm an animator in Ottawa, our nation's capital. I support Canada Land because as independent journalists, they have more leeway to speak truth to power, something often said to be valued at larger news organizations. But I find that Jesse's journalists walk the walk more than they talk the talk. Uh, it's my favorite way to get the pulse of not just Canadian news, but also the news behind the news. Also, Ryan McMahon's work on Thunder Bay was excellent, and I look forward to similar stories in the near future. Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter. About 200 Indigenous people and their supporters are at a wharf today in support of a First Nations plan to launch a lobster fishery based on its own management plan. 
The opening is in defiance of federal regulations that say the fishery is closed for the season. It's tense here at the Sonneville Wharf, where yesterday the seven boats behind me set out with Mi'kmaq fishermen on board to lay lobster traps in what the Sebaganagany First Nation is describing as a rights-based livelihood fishery. They say a Supreme Court ruling grants them the right to catch and sell lobster outside of the regular fishing season. But the decision doesn't come without controversy. That's some news reporting on on this conflict uh, where you are in Nova Scotia or close to where you are. And Trina, here's a CBC headline that's since been changed. Fishermen dump illegal lobster traps outside DFO, Department of Fishery Office in Nova Scotia. Trina, what's wrong with that headline? Why did it have to be changed? Well, I mean, the, the Mi'kmaq lobster traps are, are not illegal. The lobster traps that are set by the Mi'kmaq that have been pulled by non-Mi'kmaq fishermen and dumped in front of DFO, they're not illegal traps. The fishery that the Mi'kmaq are engaging in right now is a rights-based fishery, and it's not illegal. So it was just factually wrong. And inferring that the Mi'kmaq are doing something wrong, and that's really been a narrative that's actually been kind of perpetuated by some of the coverage and, and sort of taking, you know, the, the statements from non-Mi'kmaq fishermen, typically Acadian in that part of the province, who are commercial fishermen um, and making a lot of statements about the Mi'kmaq and what they're doing and that it's dangerous for the stocks and that it's wrong and not enough questioning of, of, of those statements uh, from the media. And we're kind of starting to see that change a little bit in some of the coverage, but generally the narrative has made it seem like the Mi'kmaq are doing something wrong. Uh, even from DFO to a certain extent, uh, we've kind of heard that as sort of the message. It's simply not the case. But there is a sense that there's an uh, audience for a corrective of that coverage and the way that things are being framed. And, you know, Jeff Douglas, former host of As It Happens, who's who's gone to back home out east, is hosting local CBC radio in Nova Scotia, had you on and gave you, you know, space to criticize the CBC's coverage. They did change that headline. Maybe they're having a rethink at, at your instigation and, and uh, suggestion of others. Is that too generous or is that happening? Well... No, I think it, I, I am seeing examples of it, um, even with CBC, because uh, initially, yeah, like I, you know, I, I spoke to uh, Jeff like last week and I had been seeing the coverage and I was like, oh, my God, like because, you know, the sort of like they're saying it's an illegal fishery. The Mi'kmaq say it's a treaty right. And like you don't have to attribute that right like it's fact <laughs> we only attribute as in media uh opinions or emotions right like we can just say the migma have a treaty right a constitutional <laughs> treaty right yeah <laughs> the migma have a treaty right and these people feel bad about it That's yeah. The, and, yeah and i think i said like some of the headlines should be like because it's like tensions escalating even that and i think aptn even had a had a because you, you're in media and it's like you just need quick headlines and but you really need to start to think about your words well those tensions they do escalate those they tensions, do escalate that's what they but do. it's but it's it's not that sort of makes it seem like both sides. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, how about let's just say angry non Mi'kmaq fishermen upset that Mi'kmaq have a constitutional treaty right. Yeah, Maybe that's too long. But and and, and are <laughs> engaged accurate. in like radically illegal thuggish practices. Yeah. yeah. Then some of the coverage, I was still reading it, and I'm like, oh, my God, right? Like, come on. Like, you can't say stuff like um, like the, the court gives the Mi'kmaq the right. The court didn't give the Mi'kmaq the right. <laughs> right, right. They recognized the right. They upheld the right, right? That's a completely different uh, nuance, right? What the commercial fishermen or fish harvesters have is a, is a privilege to fish. The Mi'kmaq have a right. And there is a, that is a fundamental 
understanding you have to have. Media has a lot of work to do to really understand that the Mi'kmaq are not an interest group. They're not just another group in a multicultural society. They are the first peoples. They are a sovereign nation with jurisdiction. And if you don't get kind of get that, then you sort of end up with that he said, she said, minimizing the, the Mi'kmaq authority in the situation. To be fair to the CBC, that headline, which they changed, had the word illegal in quotation marks, which I think is, is still uh, like either it's legal or it's illegal. And uh, this has been reported as the fishermen say that what the Mi'kmaq are doing is is illegal. That's their side of this. But we, we actually have clarity on this. There is this legal decision from you know 20 years ago. The Marshall decision, it states that the Mi'kmaq have a right to earn a moderate living. Is that accurate? Well, let's start with Donald Marshall. So Donald Marshall Jr. goes fishing. He uh, asserts his treaty, right? Because the treaties of 1760 to 61 protect the Mi'kmaq right to sell, barter, and trade um, natural resources. And so, so he's asserting his right and catches and sells eels without a license, out of season. He's charged by DFO. He goes through the court system, all the way to the Supreme Court, and he wins that case. And it's a major victory for the Mi'kmaq. The problem is, is that right now, if Donald Marshall today uh, went and fished again and did the exact same thing, if he was alive today, he could still be charged by DFO. So, so Canada really hasn't implemented the, the Marshall decision. And the moderate livelihood part was really created by the uh, court as a way to sort of constrain the right. So, so you can make money. So the treaties did say this, you know, sell, barter, trade. But the court felt like, well, we can't have anybody getting rich. <laughs> Right. You know, you don't want to see them do too well. Uh, so it was like this way to constrain the right. So they just sort of added this term. Like it was not a Mi'kmaq term. It wasn't a DFO term. The courts created this term moderate livelihood, uh, didn't define it. And so the last 25 or 21 years have really been, you know, it's been this question. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What is a moderate livelihood? I mean, that that part is fascinating to me. Like, you don't see that anywhere else where the law says capitalism can occur, but not too much. I mean, maybe that should be something that we see in regulations uh, in different <laughs> industries. Like you can do this, but don't do it too much. I've yeah. never seen that before. Like you can make a living in moderation. Like it's it's like uh, we're going to set some kind of ambiguous limit. I mean, and I know what they're going for. What they're going for is that that um, lobster fishing in Nova Scotia is a widespread industrialized commercial enterprise. And it seems to me that the intent of that is to say the Mi'kmaq can do this in some kind of like uh, ancient traditionalist way, but <laughs> but we don't want them horning in on our thing. So after, tell me what if I got this right, after 21 years of this ambiguity of like, well, how what does that mean and how do we do it? They've just said, fuck it, we're setting up. And it almost seems like a joke, like it's a moderate livelihood fishery. That's what yeah. they're calling it. And yeah. they've been issuing licenses. And that's where we get this news story. They're just exerting their, their constitutional right to make yeah. a moderate living. And then the local lobster fishermen, and this is where we get into what actually is illegal in a, in a protest and why a lot of people are seeing this pop up on their Facebook and Twitter feeds. They have been harassing and hounding these Mi'kmaq fishermen. We got this boat here trying to sneak up on us. Sneak up on us. No, they're shooting flares at us. Oh, shit, they just missed us. There's like a convoy of trucks that are like harassing people who bought lobsters from the Mi'kmaq uh, fishermen. And there are these yelling matches 
between uh, the different rival fishermen. And at one point, you can actually hear a cop saying to the uh, settler fishermen, whether we like it or not, they're allowed to go out and fish. Whether we like it or not, they're allowed to go out and fish, which... You know, God bless that cop for just being honest. Us and them. I mean, he did rec he did recognize the right. He recognized that the <laughs> that's a Mi'kmaq. But it, you're right. It, it's, it was very much a, a an us and them sort of uh, uh, context. And and that is, I think, that is, I think you'll see that in a lot of conflict <laughs> as you go across the country. <laughs> that's not just here. Anyways. <laughs> so this has exploded into a national news story. I mean, before we talk about the coverage again, just like, where is it at now? Because I'm just following this mostly through social media and I'm hearing that the RCMP have finally stepped up to protect the Mi'kmaq fishermen. Is that is that your understanding? Well, I'm not on site today. Like we had Hurricane Teddy coming up and, and actually I'm, we have a reporter on the ground there covering it, Angel Moore. I went down to uh, to assist over the weekend. So I was there on, on site at a couple of different days. Like over the weekend... The Sabaganagadi First Nation, like they kick off uh, their moderate livelihood fishery on Thursday with ceremony, and it's very celebratory. It's a very proud moment. Mm -hmm. Then we see by Thursday afternoon that the non-Migma are out there um, uh, harassing, cutting traps, um, being very aggressive on the water, very aggressive on, on land as well. By Friday night, the uh, Migma blocked off the, the wharf in Sonierville, and so the road down. They just wanted to keep the peace and keep the keep the protesters sort of separate. When you were inside the checkpoint, it was a great mood. I mean, they were kind of selective about who they're letting in. And so those kind of confrontations were minimized. And so, you know, there's people, there's drumming, there's lots of food. You know, there's there's a feeling of, of pride. Uh, hundreds of Mi'kmaq from around Mi'kma'ki uh, came down over the weekend to show support. Some of the Mi'kmaq lobster uh, fishermen went out and, and retrieved some of the traps that had been cut. There's this process of, of like dragging to bring up the traps. They didn't find them all, uh, but they found some of them. But always in the distance out on the water are all like just dozens of commercial fishing boats. And then at times they come in. And at times, you know, you've seen, you saw the video with the shooting the flares, coming in and sort of circling and surrounding and pulling up the traps. Now, Hurricane Teddy, I think, kind of caused a little bit of a lull in everything, clearly with, you know, storm surge and all of that stuff. And that's still sort of happening. So I have a feeling it's probably pretty quiet. But now, once the storm passes, we'll see what's going to happen. Because the Sabag and Agate First Nation, like, they're not, they're not going anywhere. They're going to keep their fishery going. Their plan was until the commercial season started. Mm -hmm. And then they were going to get out of the way. So this kind of like, it's, it's partly celebratory, partly confrontational, kind of depending on, on where you are and who you're with. Uh, it's probably worth noting, I'm hearing now from our producer Tiffany, uh, that the state of emergency is now extended to next Tuesday. That's confirmed with the chiefs. So I think that uh, the Mi'kmaq must be feeling somewhat anxious still. You know, trying to uh, understand this from a far remove, it's easy, I think, to... Uh, really see this as like an expression of some of the most virulent and ugly racism in recent memory between like actually just like cutting the lobster traps and dumping them in front of the Department of Fishery office. Like, you know, you're not going to earn your moderate living. We're going to steal your traps. But then moving on to like, you know, this intimidation of a fleet of boats chasing a smaller boat and shooting flares at it. Like, I have to imagine that if that flare connected with the boat, people could die harassing the customers. And then you look online and I'm just seeing like, and I don't mind using their names. I mean, they put this racism to their own names. Charles Chamber lane uh writing you know my grandmother used to take in little native children and, and place their hands in boiling water to prevent them from stealing 
Demon Spawns, uh, Jamie, I'm not going to read all this stuff. It's disgusting. Jamie Estabrooks, I will read their names. Gloria Innes Dernford, Jordan Barnes, giving voice to a racism that seems like it goes back, like they reference their parents and grandparents. And they get to like death threats and genocide threats. So I think it's easy to just see this as the most disgusting thing that we could imagine. I don't want to reduce things. I know that there are other voices amongst the commercial sutler fisheries where they're saying, look, what we're actually saying here is that there are rules around lobster fishing that have to do with seasonality. And if you fish the lobsters in the off season, they can't mate. We can't replenish the stocks and we just want them to follow the same rules that we follow. I wonder if you could speak to that kind of more moderate position against the, yeah. the Mi'kmaq fishery. I read uh, a quote and it said, uh, we're not being racist. We have been ignored, obfuscated, called racists, liars, fomenters of hate now for years. That is not what this is about. This is not about race. This is not about treaty rights. It's about greed and corruption and no respect for a nursery ground. And I'm like, okay, but you're not racist. <laughs> He's with the um, with one of the uh, fishermen's associations down there. And so there, there, this concern about conservation playing up like the the they're gonna ruin the lobster stocks i've said this before they're gonna ruin the lobster stocks was a battle cry in burnt church from the non-indigenous or non-migma fishermen there 21 years later it has not been borne out right and so uh to hear when you hear that now and and the thing is when you're media covering this you're like oh yeah well we want to you know that's that seems like a good point except it, the science doesn't support it. The lobster stocks, DFO's own science uh, says that the lobster stocks are very healthy. Uh-huh. And what that narrative does when they're saying, well, this is about uh, conservation. This is about the health of the lobsters. This isn't the time to fish. Well, DFO already allows the Migma to fish this time of year down there for food, social and ceremonial. So like, it's just not a commercial season. Uh, the commercial season though, like, so, where St. Mary's Bay is, you know, it's very near the Bay of Fundy. If you were to, you know, sort of sail out from St. Mary's Bay, you'll kind of run into the Gulf of Maine. In Maine, they fish year round. They don't have seasons. Seasons are designed not for conservation so much as so we don't flood the market. It's, a, it's, more, of a, it's more of a market tactic. Yeah. And so, so when we're not like as media, when we're not sort of questioning that, when we're allowing that kind of comment to stand, without questioning that we, we're not really doing our jobs. But when, when we hear this debate, because conservation is one, of the, is one of the sort of things that like you, if you pin it on conservation, then it's kind of like, oh yeah, maybe they're doing something wrong. Maybe they're hurting the lobster stocks, but they're not. In the commercial season, there's between 360 and 390,000 traps in the commercial fishery. And the Mi'kmaq at this point, they have seven licenses. They're only fishing three. Each boat has 50 traps. So there's 150 traps right now, right? Like so. That's, that's kind of all you need to say, yeah. isn't it? Like, like by order of magnitude, yeah. the discrepancy here uh, f- between the commercial fishery and this Migma, you know, uh, reasonable living fishery, just seems like. That just destroys the argument, doesn't it? Yeah. As I understand it, there's a glut of lobster on the market because the ability to sell it to China is hampered right now. And this might just be like a market control thing, trying to basically price fix. Yeah. Well, it's all about the markets too, right? Because when I did a doc, a living treaties last year on this for the marking the 20th anniversary of the Marshall decision, I did an interview with... uh, um, with DFO, um, a couple of interviews, and they always DFO because because the reason when we're talking about an illegal fishery uh, too, let's just say if it is illegal, 
<laughs> and it's not, but it's only illegal, say, in the rule in the eyes of DFO or those uh, commercial fishermen because there are no regulations that reflect the Marshall decision in place that def- that reflect the treaty right, constitutional treaty right to a moderate livelihood fishery. The Mi'kmaq have a right, they're just that the government hasn't caught up and actually like legislated, <laughs> you know, put the legislation in place to reflect that. DFO will say that it is addressing moderate livelihood in its negotiations that are ongoing and that, and that some bands have signed what they're calling these uh, re- rights reconciliation agreements that recognize the right to a moderate livelihood. They don't. They're just commercial, basically commercial fishing agreements. They're money and gear and traps. When you sign those agreements, which is why most bands haven't, only three have, when you sign those agreements, you have to actually agree that you're not going to sue DFO and that you're not going to assert your treaty rights. So you're actually going to quiet your rights. That's how DFO has been sort of handling trying to address moderate livelihood. They're not addressing it. But when I talked to Jim Jones, who's kind of you know the guy negotiating these agreements, he made that point. It's like, this is very much about the market. I mean, the, the Atlantic fisheries, and not just lobster, but the fisheries in the Atlantic region, it's like a $3 billion a year industry, right? Mm-hmm. And three quarters of that goes to international markets. So for them, market stability is really important, right? Instability, Jim Jones, I remember the quote, he said, it's bad for business and that's true for fishing. So basically what the Mi'kmaq are doing are creating for DFO a bit of instability with those 150 traps and that's bad for business. And so I think that that's also important for people to understand. Trina, you have have not joined us before, but what we do here is uh, duly note things that uh, could use a bit more attention and otherwise might go unnoted. Uh, I'm going to kick us off. I want to uh, thank Kate Herman for bringing this to our attention. This is a section that ran in the Globe and Mail. If you're flipping through the Globe and Mail recently, uh, you would have found uh, amid coverage that's quite critical of Canada's really faltering relationship with China, which is in a really uh, trepidatious place right now. But then there's a lot of happy news. China Watch Tree fellers turn into tree lovers. Live streams help produce a mushrooming industry. Foreign firms see rosy prospects for services trade. A chain of celestial lights to celebrate inclusiveness. China Watch is suddenly a fun thing to do. It's because China paid for China Watch and ran a bunch of upbeat stories about China to kind of just even out some of the more, you know, bummer factual newsworthy stuff that the Globe and Mail likes to publish. And, uh, you know, I know we're going to talk about branded content a bit more later in today's episode, but, you know, there's a couple points to this. One is that, you know, Trina, you and I might see this and we might recognize that the fonts look different than the Globe and Mail's usual fonts. And it does say sponsored content on the page and savvy newsreaders like you and I might know, okay, this is an ad. But I think the whole point here is that a lot of people don't know that. It looks like a bunch of articles in the Globe and Mail about China. It looks like a special section on China. And that's the point. And I do think that it does affect the Globe and Mail's ability to report on China uh, with its own editorial voice when they when they take these checks and run this kind of stuff. Yeah, that that was going to be my question is like, how um, how does that impact your editorial decisions for those harder news stories that maybe aren't as flattering <laughs> that are up closer to the front page? Let's say not at all. Let, let's say that, that those reporters are kept in a, uh, you know, a metal box where they didn't even know 
that the China watch was going to be in the paper till it came out. Let's say that we that they were somehow kept from even knowing it once it came out and that they're, they're free to report on China as they would. I think that it still does affect the credibility that the reader places in the Globe's China coverage. You know what I mean? I don't think it's necessarily just about whether or not the, you know, what Nathan Vanderclip reporting out of China. Uh, I don't think he's corrupted by these ads, but I do think that when you're getting your China news from the Globe and Mail, it's more complicated when when the Globe and Mail is also giving you Chinese state propaganda. Yeah, well, and they are still distributing the propaganda. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so there's still, like, you might have the the news story that, yes, the reporter was in a bubble and hadn't had nothing to do with the sponsored content. <laughs> but then, yeah, you're right. Like, as the viewer flips through, it's still a message that you're allowing. Whether it's sponsored content, whether it's clear or not that it's sponsored content, it's still in your paper. Like, yeah, I can't, now that I think about it, I can't really, like, I can't imagine if you went on APTN national news on our website and then and then we had like a whole section that was sort of almost contrary to maybe some of our other reporting that was sponsored yeah (laughs) duly noted trina what do you have for us you know my colleague angel moore who's a a reporter for aptn national news in the halifax region uh just recently she's covering the fishing story right now but she just recently did uh a series of stories on uh, racism in the RCMP. Um, it's a story that I've covered in the past, and she kind of picked up that ball and, and kept pushing for answers. It's really important uh, right now in, in light of, you know, demands for police accountability and defund the police and Black Lives Matter. So I think people should head to the you know, APTN National News website and sort of find those stories that Angel Moore did on, on the RCMP and, and racism that, that's persistent. Was there any like one big finding she had or like a big outcome of that story? She actually had like a, a MIGMA officer who's retired now talking about his. So some of it is those kind of personal personal experiences but but I think I think the actual like story is that is that there hasn't been anything done because races they know racism exists um, and it's the frustration that 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 RCMP knows there's racism in the ranks but yet um, but yet doesn't seem to address it and, and I mean lucky even uh, you know considered um, you know the the question of systemic racism and whether that existed in the in the RCMP. So I think the fact that that her coverage sort of exposed that like really there was no change and um and the RCMP didn't didn't have a good answer um is is very telling. It's almost more telling than <laughs> if they had, you know, some sort of response. Duly noted. You know what, I'm going to squeeze in one last one. I have to uh I have to point this out. Um it's so rare now there's just layoffs in newspapers like, you know, it feels like every week for any reporting job to be posted, like somebody hiring, feels really rare. And for the Globe and Mail to be putting out a call that they're like actually hiring a reporter, uh, that that is uh, uncommon. And you can only imagine what the competition must be like for that job with uh, all the reporting talent that, that you know is looking for work right now. I want to duly note that that job, that Globe and Mail reporting job, went to Jaron Kerr. Jaron Kerr is a young journalist who I met when I was asked to come speak uh, some years ago uh, to University of Toronto, and he was a student journalist there, and that's where we met, and later he came to work for Canada Land as an intern. We hired him back as a reporter, later an editor, and of course, he's he's the guy who uh, did this massive investigation of the WE organization. He later left to go to Yahoo Finance, but then came back to, do, to file another story on some WE real estate, and he's the one who got the job at the Globe and Mail. 
Jaron's accomplishments are his own. I just feel lucky to have had him on our team, and I think that it's the Globe who's lucky. And uh, now that he's with the Globe, there's a good chance that his reporting is going to fall under the uh, criticism and scrutiny of shortcuts sooner or later. And I know that he won't take it personally when that happens. Uh, so I want to congratulate Jaron. And I also want to congratulate my colleague, Andrea Schmidt, who just won a fucking news Emmy. And the Emmy goes to El Chapo's son, the weekly FX Networks. Congratulations, guys. Thank you. We weren't expecting this. This Emmy really belongs to the legendary Culiacan reporter Ernesto Martinez, who drove into a gunfight between the Sinaloa cartel and armed forces on October 17th, and he shot it all on his cell phone. We are so proud and so grateful to have worked with him on this film, and we dedicate this honor to him and to everyone in Sinaloa whose lives have been shattered by this drug war. Thank you so much. Congratulations, Andrea Schmidt and everybody at The Weekly. Really good work there. Andrea Schmidt, our managing editor here, she used to work for the New York Times show The Weekly, and it just won the news Emmy for coverage of a breaking news story uh, for news magazines. And that's for uh, uh, her report that she directed, El Chapo's Son, The Siege of Culiacan. So uh, this is not even stuff that the wider public needs to know more about. This is just um, something that made my week brighter, both of these things. It's just like, I'll take good news wherever I can get it, Trina. It's <laughs> short supply these days. Duly noted. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Trina, have you heard the new podcast, Go the Distance? I have not. What is that about? 
So this is uh, this is something uh, with the CBC logo on it. It's hosted by a CBC host, uh, Leah Simone Bowen, uh, host of the wonderful Secret Life of Canada. And um, what can I tell you about Go the Distance? Go the Distance shares stories of students whose lives have been transformed by online education. That's very specific for a CBC show. Uh, it is... It's branded content. It's branded content, or as they call it, sponsor content uh, from Athabasca University, an online university. And this is the uh, podcast from what we learned last week. Katie Jensen tweeted out, oh, have a look at this. CBC Tandem. They have a new wing of CBC. It is uh, CBC's commercial production unit. That's how it's credited at the end of, uh, of that podcast. And uh, yeah, they're making branded podcasts. Sometimes I would say cynically, this is the CBC taking its credibility, which we all pay for. We all pay for CBC to be a credible news source with our tax money. And they're taking that credibility and they're trying to leverage it and sell it to their corporate clients. And I would sound very cynical if I said something like that, but I don't have to say that because the CBC said that. Donald Lazote, the general manager and chief revenue officer of CBC, he said, Clients wanted an integrated turnkey solution to create quality content and leverage the credibility of our network. I'm so pleased that we now offer this. Trina, what do you think? I just, I don't know. Like if it's, or do listeners, um, you, you know, or viewers like recognize that this is branded content, that it is, uh, like, is it clear? Like, to the viewer, because I'm just looking at the CBC site now and it says craft it with expertise, authenticity and relevance. Like you wouldn't get the sense that this is, I mean, clearly there's a message. It seems, does it come across as news? I guess that's what I'm asking. Well, it's, (laughs) I mean, this is the kind of tricky thing with branded content uh, from the get go. Uh, The whole reason why it exists is because it makes money and it makes money and you can charge a lot more for branded content than you would for an ad. I mean, you can go and buy an ad on CBC podcasts, but uh, if you want a, your own CBC branded podcast about your university or your company, like Gillette and Visa work with CBC on branded content, I don't know if they're going to be making podcasts. If you want the CBC brand, the reason why you want the CBC brand is because it does muddy and confuse the waters. And I, and I note that these new branded CBC podcasts are going to be also condensed into, here's how they put it, incorporate your messaging into sponsored storytelling segments. That's, they don't call it an ad. It's a sponsored storytelling segments featured as effective one and a half minute spots within podcasts on CBC Listen. So the plan is to blend these things together. Like you'll be listening to As It Happens or whatever, and then there'll be a minute and a half of a branded podcast. And like, let's just be clear about this. The point is to blend this in and use very explicitly it's to use whatever credibility they have because here's here's the problem with branded podcasts nobody listens to them you can go and hire people to make really professional sounding podcasts but then it's just another podcast among millions and it's a podcast like branded shows you know there are dozens of different banks out there with shows about you know disruptive startups or how to maximize your, your potential. They're think tanks and policy groups uh, that sort of sound like current affairs and news panel shows, but they never get too negative. And Trina, I think it's, it's only fair here that I note my own terrible hypocrisy. Canada land has made uh, a branded podcast, but I think it's, it's, it's interesting to go back into our history here to talk about like the decision we had to make. We knew that we could make a good branded podcast. We knew that there was money to be made by making branded podcasts. But, and we also knew the big problem with branded podcasts, which is like, okay, let's say you've made one. 
how do you get anyone to listen to it? Like, I don't listen to branded podcasts. And here we are with a podcast network. We can introduce new shows and we have yeah. a brand that people trust. And so we thought we're in a good position to uh, to use the Canada Land brand to actually make branded podcasts people will listen to. And the best way to do that would be to kind of do what like everybody does, what the CBC just did, and create like, um, you know, a related imprint, you know, Canada Land Content Studios or, you know, Canada Land Digital or Canada Land Creative or, you know, something, something like that that we know that it's a distinction, but nobody in the public would really know what the hell that means. It would just sound like a Canada Land thing. And the reason why we didn't do that is not because I am a noble man of virtue true who couldn't possibly lower myself. No, I like making money, but I, I, I knew that that would threaten our business because our business is about having a trusted news brand that we work really hard. I, I couldn't sell it to our supporters. We would lose supporters. We would lose credibility. We would lose listeners. And ultimately we'd lose advertisers if we did that. It's just like, I couldn't make it wash. But the CBC apparently could. My thing is, like, I think that, like, it is, like, we are, like, um, you know, because you just mentioned, too, like, uh, the shout out to the person who got the job at the Globe and Mail, right? There's, like, a lot of cutbacks, like, journalism and media, um, you know, finding a way to make money. Um, so I get that. Like, it's hard. Like, APTN struggles with that for our uh, website because, um, you know, our CRTC license doesn't doesn't give us money for that. So, like, how do you... How do you pay for it, right? Like, how do you get the money for that? <laughs> if, only, if only the government gave you more than a billion dollars a year like they do the CBC. I know. So I get that. My, my thing, though, is like sometimes with podcasts, there's just so many. I'll go and I'll be like, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't want to waste my time on something that, that I'm not sure that I'm interested in. <laughs> And then, but are you taking up space with these things? Like, um, you know, like not, not you, sorry, just the brand, like these, these branded content podcasts. The, in, are you just taking up space in the podcast world? And like you said, sort of muddying the waters. But then, I mean, like, it's like people have to make money. I just think that like you're like, if, um, if people are coming to Canada land for a certain perspective, yeah, like, are you sort of uh, endangering that um, if you have this branded content that's being produced um, sort of off of your um, you know, credibility. So are you, are you hurting your credibility? I, I don't know. I don't know that I have an answer. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty clear. And, you know, again, it's not like a moral high, high ground. Like the Toronto star has a sponsored content, uh, wing, the globe and mail, everybody, like, it, like it's times are tough. Go make your money. Anybody in commercial media, if they got to go do this, it's their brand is theirs to leverage if that's yeah. what they want to do. But my complaint about this is that it's the CBC. So there's two things. First of all, it's a taxpayer funded competitor in a business that I'm in and that other like, what do we need? Like uh, in the branded podcast business, I should be competing with a taxpayer underwritten like there's there's no argument for that. And but then for, I think it's of wider relevance that like when the CBC leverages its news credibility to make branded podcasts for corporate clients, they're not leveraging an asset that belongs to them. Uh, yeah. We need the CBC to be a credible news source. There's no guarantee that any big news service is going to even be here in five or 10 years. And the CBC is in a unique position of having all like more money than it's ever gotten from the government at a time when we need news reporting. And their credibility is under attack every day. And they keep doing dumbass things like putting Rosie Barton's name on a lawsuit against the conservative party. So when they yeah. do this, it's not just their CBC News logo, uh, the CBC brand, and it's theirs 
choose to like really like diminish if they choose to like everybody in Canada needs that. We, we like we would all be better off if the CBC were a more respected and trusted news source. So they're selling things that don't belong to them. And that bugs me. Well, it, you know, it is true. I mean, and CBC, I mean, obviously for APTN, uh, you know, CBC Indigenous, I mean, they're they're mainly an online platform um, and we are APTN is TV. But but, you know, like we don't don't sort of get that get that funding. And you're right. Like we aren't government funded. Sometimes I think people think APTN is government funded. Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> we're not. A, we're not government funded. And so I mean, I don't know. I mean, if APTN could do it, maybe there'd be a way. I'm just wondering, like, so for APTN, I'll just like from my perspective, how would that work if we have sort of a brand of content maybe from some sort of indigenous organization that wants to like piggyback off the APTN brand? Um, but then all of a sudden, like we have to turn around and do like a negative story on. That's an issue, too. What if Athabasca University has some terrible scandal? Like, you know, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Well, listen, you know, I, 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 I get back channel communication from people at CBC and I can tell you there's some marquee hosts at the CBC who are furious about this. And they found out from me that these branded shows are going to be slotted in as ads on their podcasts. They didn't even know that. So I, I'm curious if the people who, the journalists at the CBC who rely on that credibility, if they're going to flex a little power, which I think they have to flex, and if this branded podcasting is going to keep going or not, we can debate the degree to which it compromises the CBC brand, but like it doesn't help. It's not a good thing if you're trying to establish news legitimacy. Well, and I think that because even if you're able to within your organization, and maybe CBC is able to do this, I mean, certainly APTN has a board of directors and they have no say in our coverage for news, right? I mean, that's, you know, like we're, we have, you know, you're able to be separate and independent in our coverage. But I think it's also sometimes it's the perception that matters, right? So the perception from the viewership, if it causes a little bit of, you know, lack of trust, like even even if it's even if it's not the case, even if they're able to maintain sort of edi- editorial control over their stories, regardless of this branded content, um, you know, ad that just ran <laughs> in the podcast two seconds before. Um, I think it maybe it's just the perception of for the for the listener or the yeah. viewer. Right. Tr- Trina, we work in media. It's the perception business. It's the trust and <laughs> perception business. That's all we got. <laughs> you are right. That is Canada Land Shortcuts for today. Trina, thank you so much for joining me for it. Thank you for having me. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I can be emailed to jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that people send. Uh, we're on Twitter at Canada Land. Trina, where can people find you and your work? Uh, I'm uh, at Twitter, uh, just at Trina Roach. And they can find me if you look on APTN Investigates uh, website. You know, you can click on my stories and my email is there. Our website is canadalandshow.com, where you'll find a new episode of our podcast about Doug Ford, Wag the Doug. Uh, It's all about how Doug Ford shipped wolves to Michigan. Well, it's not all about that, but that's in there. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us. (laughs) 